Welcome, everyone, to The Great Scott Podcast. Today, Mike's guest is legendary singer-songwriter Don McLean. Mike talks with Don about his fascinating career and what he's been up to lately. How's it going, Don? I'm doing just great. Everything is coming up roses. Absolutely. It sounds like it. Absolutely. So, uh, Don, I want to kind of start out in a much different way than what probably um, some interviewers might with you. But um, um, we we, we recently had Chris Livingston on uh, the program. He's uh, the son of uh, Alan Livingston of uh, Capitol Records. And um, I know that Alan Alan kind of played a, a key role in your career. Yes, the uh, the Livingston brothers, Jay Livingston and Alan Livingston, were important uh, people. Um, Jay Livingston was a songwriter who wrote a bunch of famous songs. I think he Absolutely. wrote yep. uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, or one of those, and many other things. And Alan uh, was a very dynamic record company executive, a very special talent. Uh, he was a real record man who knew how to identify talent and had a, a craft and image for uh, an artist at a record label. And he left Capitol after he signed the Beatles, the Beach Boys, Sinatra, the Kingston Trio, all these different people from different areas of music who were basically number one, made the uh, company into the very cool company that it is still is absolutely and and then started his own record label with another guy named bob york who was with um rca and he was also a very cool california guy and the two of them partnered in this uh, media arts uh, endeavor and i was one of the first people that he signed along with um Spencer Davis and uh, uh, a lady named uh, Dory Previn, who was a songwriter. And uh, so, you know, we did Tapestry and yep. um, they bought the Tapestry album. We did not have a record company. Uh, my first manager, uh, stupidly, you know, found a, a producer and we made, we're making the record and borrowing to the point where I was in debt for like 20 grand when I just got started. And uh, that annoyed me quite a bit. It still does when I think back on it because I hate being in debt. Uh, But we made this record and finally me paid the bills and took it and put it out. And we were working on the American Pie album. And all of a sudden, you know, they... And they did everything. We had the whole album made, the cover shot, the whole works. And they went out of business. Mm. And wow, I figured, gee, what's going to happen, you know? So United Artists came to the rescue and bought the company and gave me a lot of money. And um, the rest is history. Absolutely. As as they would, as, as they would say, and, uh, you had been shopping around from record company to record company before Alan actually gave you a a shot at uh, at at music. If Alan hadn't given me a shot, I don't know what I don't think anything would have happened because I'd basically been turned down by everyone, and the only thing I had left 
was to let somebody tell me what songs to sing or, you know, do something I wasn't willing to do. Yeah. Yeah. So had you heard of uh, Alan by that point or did you, or did you know anything about him by that point? No, I didn't. No. Okay. So, um, so I, so I want to talk a little bit about your, your childhood for just a moment. Um, your dad, you, you really idolized your dad. And then after he had passed away, um, uh, and I know just like any, anybody else would, uh, once your father passes away, I mean, uh, it's kind of like your, your role model passed away and you, uh, were, were left crying for, for two years. Well, it was a thing where I, um, always felt like I could never please, please him. He was one of those guys who was very tough, you know, in terms of getting him to uh, support you in any way. He did not want me to be a musician. And he died almost right in front of me. And I, I couldn't help him, you know. It's part of the problem. I felt like I could have or should have done more, maybe. I didn't really know. It was very confusing. And then it was very ugly, you know, funerals and all that stuff. And it basically um, put me down the sort of the Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole there and uh, changed everything. Yeah. And I was suddenly in charge and my mother was hysterical. And uh, so it was like I was all of a sudden alone. You know, I didn't have anybody. And uh, but I had uh, music and uh, my guitar. And yeah, that's what that's what I was going to ask you if it was through yeah. music that kept you kept you going. Yeah, that became my whole life, basically practicing and dreaming and working and, you know, always calling people and trying to get something going, you know. Yeah. And um, then. But I, you know, I quit school in 1964 because my father passed away in 61. And I got to know a guy named Eric Darling in 1962. And he had a hit, Walk Right In. So Eric and I became somewhat friendly. He was a professional. I was just an amateur learning. But he was very generous and taught me a lot about guitars. And suddenly he was in the middle of having a hit record. So that was an experience to be around somebody who was having actual success, you know. Um, and, and we're talking like very, and, and so we're talking like a very young Don McLean too, like like in your teens here, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so let's see, it's 65. So I'm like 17 at that yep, point. Yep. And Eric liked my playing and he asked me to, to, play on a record that he was producing. So I went in the studio and I heard on an album uh, called Elisa Kindred um, for Vanguard. I'm playing uh, guitar on that, singing background. And I'm 17 and uh, Eric brought enough of me to have me in there. And I thought, wow, you know, that was, well, all this stuff was validating. You know what I mean? Make yeah. Think you can do this. So, I was at the same time, I, then I quit school after I graduated from high school in 63. And before I was out of school, anybody else, everybody that I knew 
and, and I've been growing up with these kids all my life. Everybody moved on now. And I, I got off the train. And the train went down the track with everybody that I knew. Mm. So I'm figuring out what I'm going to do with my life, do a whole different thing. And, uh, you know, I would play a, a gig or whatever in Philadelphia. And uh, guys that I knew in high school who were at Villanova would come to see me. And there I'd be in some crummy club, you know, and, you know, in a horrible hotel room somewhere. It was really cheap. And yeah. uh, they'd scratch their heads. Well, what happened to him? He is, you know. <laughs> so they all thought I was a lost cause. And, um, you know, then six years later, I was number one in the world. So how about that? Six years later, number one in the world. Wow. And uh, <laughs> and it was Castles in the Air that, that got you to be number one, right? That was not that was a top five record I think uh, in the eighties re-recorded uh, with Larry Butler. But the biggest thrill for me has been recently, uh, and this is the icing on the cake. Um, there is a sixty-foot mural on the side of a building in New Rochelle, which has me and Alicia Keys. Oh wow! And it's part of a series of murals that are massive. Uh, in Nourishelle, and they honor me, and I, I I almost broke down when I saw it. You should look it up sometime. Look at look up Don McLean mural, and you'll see it. That's how what would my parents think if they saw that? You know, what would all those guys I grew up with and their families who thought I was a loser? You know, and all the rest of it. No, I get you. you know, I get you. I see that mural? It's really something. Now is uh now is she from from New New Rochelle as well? Alicia Keys. No, actually, she's not. No. Uh, I, I think they tried to uh, emphasize the connection with New York City oh, okay. uh, by having her in in it. But she's fabulously successful, isn't she? Absolutely. Absolutely. Gone on to have a great mm -hmm. career herself. So, Don, uh, I want to get to uh, the thing that um, now that uh, I think people probably know know you most best for, your, your anthem. Um, mm-hmm. The and you're celebrating your 50th anniversary of uh, American Pie as well. Uh, 50 years this year. Yeah, it's been commemorated by an acapella version of the song done by a group called Home Free. And Home Free's version of the song is the video is number one on the iTunes video chart, and my version of American Pie is number one on the iTunes sales chart. So what do you think about that 50 years later? Isn't that something? I am really amazed. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what, what, what do you think about it? I mean, 50 years later, you, you recorded this song, and we're still, still talking about it um, all these many years later. I think it's going to come back um, stronger than it ever was uh, because of this pandemic. Oh yeah, yeah, true. I think, I think, yeah, I think it is. And because, you know, music venues are closed, so there's a literal uh, interpretation of the song as being, you know, the end of music. And then there's the fact that we've been in the middle of this, you know, horrible, depressing garbage that we've had to deal with. 
So there's that, you know, and yeah. uh, it just seems like here it comes, you know, <laughs> the right song for the moment. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, I know it's, uh, it, so American Pie is one of the, the longer songs um, kind of ever, ever made at uh, almost nine, nine minutes. But uh, did you guys, uh, what was it? Was it originally longer than than the eight and a half minutes that you that that it is? No, no, nope. It was exactly what it is. Um, I wrote the song until I was satisfied that the story was told, and it's as simple as that. It came out eight and a half minutes. If it had come out five minutes, it would have been fine. If it had come out fifteen minutes, I would have done it. It wouldn't have made any difference. Okay, so you so it just uh, happened to to be that way then at uh, almost the, the nine minute mark then. Yeah, that's how long it took to say what I wanted to say. Okay, gotcha. And uh, you had grown up on uh, um, Buddy Holly's music as, as well as, as a child, and uh, this was kind of a a commemoration to to him. Yes, the first part of the song references the plane crash and. Over the years, not in, not initially, but over the years, uh, probably starting maybe around 2000, if, as I recall, it's not that perfect. Uh, people started, writers and started referring to February 3rd as the day the music died. And I couldn't be more proud. I couldn't be happier because really American Pie opened the way for Buddy to come back from the dead almost. And I'll tell you why and how. Because a man named John Goldrosen wrote a book called The Buddy Holly Story. And in 1972 or three, he wrote a letter and it's printed in the book, the biography of me called Killing Us softly with his songs by Alan Howard. You can read this letter from John Goldman who wrote the book, Buddy Holly's Story. And he said prior to American Pie being released in a song and shining the light on Buddy Holly and prior to that light causing so many people to want to hear Buddy's music again, nobody was interested in this book yet, he told me. He wanted to thank me because we were all in this together, really. He's a part of the story, you see. Yeah. So the book came out, and a couple of years later, Gary Busey and the producer of the Buddy Holly Story movie came to my dressing room in California, and Busey sat down and said, John, without American Pie, this movie would never have been made. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is the stepping stone, you see. And now you got the movie. Now Buddy is fabulously successful. You've got the Broadway show. You've got people appreciating his unbelievable recordings and music. And now it's 50 years came out, and it it is the name of the day that he died, and it's coming back actually as a hit record again. So... It's going to bring back a lot of music with it, including my music, and I am extremely happy about this. Congratulations on on that. That's amazing. 
Yes, it is a little bit. It's a little bit. Um, a little bit crazy. <laughs> so when, so I have to ask you, when when you wrote the song and uh, then it became uh, the huge hit that it did, did any of of the family members of of those three guys ever come to you and and thank you for the song, or did you meet any of the family members? I had um, two occasions where I performed headlined, I guess you might say. Three occasions. Is that right? Yeah. Three occasions. One was a concert in Lubbock, Texas. And another was a big Austin City Limits tribute to Buddy. And another was I headlined a show at the Surf Ballroom, maybe in 1995 where they last performed and and at that performance there were the crickets and there was uh nicky sullivan who had been in the crickets he was the fourth man playing the guitar on the front of the album the tripping crickets but he had left the group right after that and then donna was there and peggy sue was there and uh, Alan Freed's son was there, and the son of um, um, Richie Valens was there, and um, all sorts of fireballs were there, and um, all sorts of other people. Norman Petty was there. It was just everybody was complete, there. Oh yeah, complete homecoming. And I wrote because if you Google me, you'll see there's an article. I wrote the opening stanza of American Pie on this wall. And it's since become a very uh, use, u- well-used venue, and the wall is covered with signatures and stuff. But nobody ever writes on that. It's there, and you can see it. Uh, if you Google my name and look up news, you'll see the story about that. And also, Don, after 25 years. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That has been 25 years. It's been on the wall. Wow. 25 years. Wow. That's, that's amazing. That's, that's just incredible. And, um, so Don also one, one so one thing that also, uh, I found interesting, um, about you was, uh, you went to school or you met rather at, at Villanova, another guy, uh, that we're all familiar with. And that's Jim, Jim Croce. Jim Croce actually found me and Jim Croce was not famous, of course. He was two years ahead of me in college. Um, And he was simply a very well-known figure on campus. He was always in musical groups and doing things. Uh, I think he was in committees and whatnot. He was, you know, really took college very seriously. He was very intelligent. And Villanova was a hard school. It wasn't easy. And he did very well. He was a psychology major. He wanted to get a master's after that and work with children and be, you know, a, a kind of a therapist, a doctor, if you will, of some sort. And he also, but he had this tremendous love for uh, old timey music and rockabilly and uh, just eclectic songs of one sort or another. And he was fascinated with me because I had my guitar and banjo. I was good at that point. I was a good player, a good singer. 
and we'd play together, you know, he'd sing tunes, I'd play banjo with him. And we'd go places. He would take me, once I remember him taking me to a guy who had a trailer, and uh, he was a mandolin player, and he might have been really good, you know, I don't know. But, you know, Philadelphia is so full of music. First of all, you had the Philly sound. You had um, all these people that broke out of Philadelphia. And then you had the folk scene in Philadelphia, the Philly Folk Festival. So Jim had folk roots. He was a folky, you know, dyed-in-the-wool folky. And, but he also had these friends, you know, who were, you know, hip to um, making hit records. You, you know, even uh, American Bandstand was in Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it was a breakout market. You, you, you know, you could. So he's, these guys were hip. They signed. There were guys that went to school with him. They signed him. Um, uh, Uni Records, I think, which is the same label that Elton was on. And a few years after I had my success, he started coming with hit records. And then very shortly he got killed in 73. Mm, yeah. But he, he, would have, he would have gone a long, long way. Absolutely. And he would, have continue, he would have continued to write hit songs. He would continue to make hit records. He would have grown as a performer, and he was very funny. But he, would have, he had it all, you know. So did you, nothing would have stopped that guy. Did you know about his uh, song, the, the Leroy Brown song? When he did he ever come to you saying, "Hey Don, I have this song called Leroy Brown that that I think will will make it." No, I didn't hear any of his songwriting after 1971 around the uh, topic came. I was way too busy uh, to see anybody. I didn't. I was involved, you know. In, uh, I was really busy, you know, okay. running all the time. Gotcha, I, gotcha. So uh, I also want to uh, plug something for you, Don, is that uh, you have a Broadway show and a children's book planned for, for next year. Well, this year, there's going to be a documentary movie by the end of the year. This year, there's going to be an album of mine with new songs. They're already written. I'm going to work on that in a few days when my producer comes out here. This year, there's going to be a children's book. And this year, there's going to be what's called a bookazine. I guess you've seen those, and you check out Rite Aid or, um, you know, the drugstore or the grocery store. You see these glossy magazines. They're like 96 pages. And you'll see Marilyn on the cover or John Lennon on the cover or Sinatra. Well, there's going to be one, and you'll see the, probably me on the cover, the American Pie cover or whatever. <clears throat> It'll be the whole thing, story of my life, career, and the song. And so that's done. We've got a deal for that. And it's got a deal for the for everything else too. And and you said that's supposed to come out this year. And and so you said that that was supposed to come out this year. at the at the end of the um, this year. The bookazine and the documentary will come out this year. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Don, I I want to ask you one one more question, sir. Um, uh. And I do thank you so much for coming on on the program. And um, what advice do you give to aspiring uh, musicians? Well, there's every, you know, there's a lot of ways to get uh, get where you want to go. Uh, not necessarily my way, which I think was a, a very hard way to get there. Um, I think if I were to say, it, I would study the career of Ed Sheeran. 
and see what he did using social media and how he built his career and learn about him, read a biography about him or whatever. I would do that right off the bat because he didn't get where he got and he is as big as you can be. He didn't get there the normal way. He, he figured out something else, how to do something else. Yeah. And then I would get a very good lawyer, a good transactional lawyer, um, and make sure that whatever you sign, that lawyer explains that to you in plain English. If you're not a college graduate or a lawyer yourself, if you're a high school kid or whatever, make it in high school language so that it's clear. Um, then are the two things I would suggest. Yeah, I hear you. Dealing with the business side of things uh, can can be quite hell. But these record companies. Yeah, you sign, sign away everything. And yeah. You realize it. You know? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, well, Don, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and honor to have you on, sir. Um, congratulations on uh, your your 50th anniversary, sir. And uh, I hope you can come back to Kansas City uh, and 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 perform. I didn't. I, I used to play the Uptown Theater. Isn't there a place called the Uptown yes. Theater in yes. Kansas City? Yeah. Was that still was that still operating before yes. this thing happened? Wow. Well, I played there. It was a great place. I remember the Kansas City audiences are always really good. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I hope to see you here here again soon because uh, I will definitely be there, sir. All right. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. thank you so much, Don. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, tell your friends and have them like the Great Scott Podcast Facebook page.